I want to read from the book of Exodus, chapter 5. And as you turn there, uh, I'm going to read this for you, and I'm going to read the entire chapter and the first verse of chapter 6. And we're going to ask God to help us here as we, as we go through what I want to call the thing that you should expect when you want to not only find deliverance, but bring deliverance to somebody's life, pushback. <laughs> I don't know who did that, but that was just perfect timing. Pushback. You're going to get pushback from a lot of directions, but it doesn't mean that deliverance isn't going to come through the push of God's mighty hand, and it's not there to backhand you. Maybe you grew up in a family where your father was excessive. Whenever he was angry, he abused you. He is not your heavenly father. That is not who he is. He is not that man, but he has a hand that can help you in love but is a mighty fist against every single thing that stands against you becoming more like Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Father, in Jesus' name, we invite you to speak deep into our spirit about the long game. And Lord, we don't go looking for fights, but sometimes fights come looking for us when we try to do the right thing. Lord, I can't imagine the grief of the moment that Satan looked at you and, and rejected you. I can't imagine the feeling that hits your heart when people who are created in your image look at you and say, I don't want to look anything like you. You're not my father. I want nothing to do with you. But God, we're here today because we want to be free and we want to be more like Christ. And we just, some of us have been working 20, 30 years at it and others of us have been working two hours on it. But we're here for the right reason. And I pray that your word would meet that need. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm borrowing my son's glasses because we have a wonderful viewer, which you'd always see me read the verse like this or like this, and, and chiropractor said we need to find a new way, and so we've got it right there for the musicians. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, media team, for making that happen, but I can't read with these, so I'll be going back and forth. Exodus chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let, uh, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and, they make them, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters and the people of, and their foremen, excuse me, I just lost my spot, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of the bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them, and you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor, and it may pay no regard to, and pay no regard to their lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, notice 
God comes out, Moses says, thus says the Lord. Pharaoh thinks that he's above God and says, I don't know him. Why should I let him? Thus says Pharaoh. By the way, the devil will totally try to speak into your life as if he has the authority of God, and he never had it, and he never will. I will not give you straw. Go and get straw for yourself and whatever you, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily tasks each day, as when there was no straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all the tasks of making bricks today and yesterday in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried, listen to this, came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is on your own people. But he said, you are idle, you're idle. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, no straw will be given but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. When they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of your bricks, your daily tasks each day, they met Moses and Aaron. Listen to this. This is the people going to Moses and Aaron now. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And they came out from Pharaoh and they said to, and he, and said, they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Thanks for nothing. Now look at what Moses does. By the way, this is a military concept, but it's totally true in all contexts. Gripes never go down. That's called gossip. Gripes go up to make a difference. And he turns and he looks up to heaven and and Moses has a moment with God He's a little confused, and he says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. May God bless the reading of his words. How many of you ever had your parents make this saying to you, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurts me? All right? Mm-hmm. How many of you have ever heard these phrases? It's going to get worse before it gets better. In order to make omelets, you need to what? Break a few eggs, right? Nothing worth doing comes easy. Nothing is simply handed. If you are seeking to be free, and I mean free, truly free, because the Bible says you, the Son says free, is free indeed. If you are seeking freedom, not just to belong to Jesus, but to become like Jesus and behave like Jesus, if you're looking for that kind of freedom, it takes time, it's a process, but you better be ready for pushback. Moses went into the wilderness, and he, and he was, think about his journey. 
For 40 years, he was a prince of Egypt. He knew what it was like to flick his wrist and somebody could have his head taken from his body. He knew what it was to walk into a place and say, I'll take five of everything because he had a massive access to endless wealth. He thought he was somebody and God does not need somebodies. God needs people who know that God is everybody and that we're nothing without him. But he understood power and he understood Egypt. And so he pulled aside and was in the wilderness for 40 years and he killed a man with his own bare hands. How many of you here in this room and many of us could really admit to this truth, it only takes 30 seconds for you to do something that you regret for the rest of your life. Moses takes a man's life with his bare hands and then later he sees two Hebrews fighting and, and then he goes up, he's like, whoa, whoa, brothers. I'm here to deliver you. Why are you fighting with each other? And the guy looks at him and says, who made you boss over us? You know, when you go to help people, really truly help people, what you'll find is, is that they really don't want your help or they don't know how to find your help, but they just said, what do you think you're doing? And then one of them goes, are you gonna kill us like you, and bury our body and hide it like you did the Egyptian? Moses knew he was found out and he leaves town. Here's a guy who thought he had a call on his life and now he's a fugitive for murder on the run. And some of us in an early part of our life thought God called me, God is gonna do something with my life, but you did something. That thing that only takes 30 seconds to regret for the rest of your life and then grabs onto you. And then you here you are 40 years later, maybe you're in your 40s or your 30s, or, and you're just saying, oh man, I just ruined it. God's call, God can't do anything. Absolutely not. God can still call you. The call of God is irrevocable. And if you get in and pick up the phone and return that call to him, he can do great things with your life. He's not done with you, but then he needs to bring you 40 years into the wilderness. Why? Because Moses was in Egypt and he thought he was a somebody. God now, he had to take that man, bring him into the wilderness, and instead of ruling a kingdom and owning things, all he owned was a staff, some raggy clothes, and instead of being over people, he's over sheep. And he's learning patience. Many of us want to hear God thunder, but are you close enough to him to hear his whisper? And here, when Moses goes to the burning bush, as Dave Munley preached a couple of weeks ago, 80 years and two chapters, and then mine the following week, eight verses in 20 minutes, and God just calls him and says, I've called you. I want to do this with your life. God's call is still on your life. There's somebody maybe here, somebody listening here. God hasn't given up on you. If it took 400 years to people get to get sick of Egypt and become slaves, and if it took 40 years in the wilderness for Moses, if it took 10 plagues to set the people free and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, why do you expect results so quickly? See, God doesn't just think in terms of your life. He thinks multi-generationally. Right here, you know what? We said, as we come back, please bring your children. As I said this morning, we're going to try and find a way where at least once a month we connect with that service as we begin to try and find answers for the who and the what of what God has for our church with children and youth and all those things. But let me, t let me tell you this. This right here with families together, this is how it all began. And, and some of you are here and you say, my grandma prayed for me. Yep, she did. Some of you are here and you're kind of, listen, it's a, it's a beautiful thing 
to do church with your family because if you're in the position where you send your wife and your kids but you decide to stay home or vice versa or you just have a praying grandma and you let grandma raise and bring your kids to church and I know that some people, it's a good thing for them to be raised by their grandparents. Um, my nephew was raised by my parents so I'm not making any kind of down statement but hear what I'm saying about faith. If you wanna abdicate bringing up your kids in the way of the Lord, what you become indifferent with, they become intolerable with. If you're indifferent to church that you just are like, nah, I don't need to do that, mom will take them, then you better believe when they grow up, you know what, what was indifferent to you will be intolerable for them. There's no way I'm going to church. It's important for us to do the faith, to do it regular, to do it together. And some of you, as I say that, your heart breaks over kids that are far away from God. You know what, they might be outside of God's reach, but they're never outside of his grasp. He's got his hand on them. Don't you stop praying for them. And God works in wildernesses in silence. But think about Pharaoh for a second here. Listen to, listen to this guy. When Moses, is, all he's got in his hand is a staff. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake, into a cobra. And then he walks in and he throws it on the ground in Egypt. And if, as we were saying online, if you go to the online site, lolag.org, under media, I have a us drop down there called called uh, teachings there's teachings like present teachings or something there and we have just 15 10 to 10 to 20 minute clips of different things one area of geeky area of me is Egyptology so we've been adding different things but the imagery of why God chooses a staff and a snake and all those things is because it was as if Moses was being sent to England with the crown jewels he walks in what does he have a shepherd's staff what does Pharaoh carry with him a shepherd's staff. He's not just their God, he's their shepherd that leads them into good things. What's over his head? Moses throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake and swallows up the two snakes. Pharaoh's not impressed. He says, yeah, big deal. We can do that too. Snap, snap. Two on one fight. What's your snake going to do? Swallows them both up. Preview of things to come. Over his head is a serpent. Pharaoh say, I will be your shepherd and lead you, but if you're the Amnon people, I will bite you. Listen, let me tell you what, if you've ever gotten bitten by a snake, garter snake, no big deal. Rat snake, milk snake, they're big, but they're nothing. Cotton mouth, a little bit concerning. Rattlesnake, freak you out. But a cobra, its venom works not on your blood system, it works on your nervous system, and in two minutes, an elephant will drop dead if it's bit by it. Terrifying. And what does Moses do? He walks in and he challenges the power of the most powerful man in the face of the earth. And he drops and he says, shepherd staff, God wants me to lead our people out for just three days. Just give us three days. He's not asking for a lot. Throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake, walks out. But listen to what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. The arrogance of this man, the insolence of this man. I mean, who does he think he is? And in fact, that whole, who is the Lord? I do not know. He, he wasn't lying there. And when he said, I don't know who the Lord is, he wasn't lying there either, but he's using that same word that it says that there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph, and that know, that know there, the yada, literally in Hebrew, it means I, it can mean like, I don't know, but it means to know intimately and, and, and experientially. In other words, he's saying, I don't know God. I don't want to know him. I don't want to experience him. I don't care who he is. I'm God. What's crazy about this is, is you have to understand, just like the serpent and the staff, 
what's going on in, in Pharaonic history, what's going on in Egypt. And that's why we have a separation of teachings and preachings here, because I just sit up here and give you college lectures on ancient Near Eastern history and literature, and, and there'd be three people left in the church, right? But, um, but you've got to understand, Pharaoh was the military and monetary superiority of the world. He was like the equivalent of, he, he had all the power. He was, it was this, Egypt was a superpower of the world. It was called the Golden Empire because it was like Solomon's day. Gold was like rocks in the ground. It was known as the Golden Empire from, from the massive amounts of wealth. And they had such a self-image of superiority complex. Whenever they captured uh, people and brought them back as slaves to Egypt, they would make them walk on their tippy toes and not not allow them to put a flat foot on the ground out of humiliation to demoralize them. And so in Joseph's days, there's an occupancy in the northern kingdom, and they, for the first time in Egyptian history, they get thrown down south, and they come back with a vengeance. And Joseph is gone, Jacob is gone, and now the Israelites are multiplying, and what does Pharaoh do? He says, I'm gonna, I want you to kill every firstborn son because too many young men as slaves will become too many soldiers in our country. And it lines up perfectly with Egyptian history. But it's just amazing to think here in a religious point of view. Listen, and just track me. This is the last geeky thing, but it makes a lot of sense with the story that, of what's... It tells me whoever wrote the book of Exodus, <coughs> Moses was really in Egypt and understood it. If you, and we won't do that here, but listen... If there ever was a religion that came this close to getting it without getting it at all, it was Egyptian religion. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed so much in it that they buried you with your stuff and they wrapped you to preserve your body. They believed in the incarnation of God in a man. The Pharaoh was seen as the great God Ra and he was filling the Pharaoh. So Pharaoh was believed to be God over all gods and he took a throne in Egypt and this is the person that, Pharaoh, that Moses is standing before. Not only that, but they believed in the son of the God Ra who was killed and he was buried and one of the goddesses, Isis, flew down into the underworld saved him from the dog-headed god Seth, flew him back up, and resurrected him back to life. Does this sound like a familiar story? If there was ever a religion that came this close to getting it without getting it at all, it was the Egyptians. This is why the last plague of the death of the firstborn son will be such humiliation, because if he's God, according to their tradition, he should be able to resurrect him like Osiris, but he can't, and he won't. But if you want to get free, you better get ready for pushback from Pharaoh. Now he says, all right, you thought it was bad now. I'm not going to give you straw. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to be behind you. I'm going to be all over you. And in fact, I'm going to make it impossible. How many of you, whether it's through drug addiction, right? That's the thing. Like, we always talk about drugs, right? And we, we're like, oh, man, you know. They're smoking crack or meth or shooting heroin. Let me tell you what, I've seen more people in the church mess their life up from bitterness and unforgiveness. It's disgusting. And if you ever look down on somebody struggling with a life control habit and just overlook your bitterness and unforgiveness, gross, you're missing the whole point. We all need freedom, amen? 
We all need freedom from something. And God said, Jesus said, I've got this, the, he who knows the son, and he who the son sets free is free indeed. Listen, freedom is an ongoing process. It takes time, but the minute that you want to find that freedom, you better get ready for pushback from peril because every promise that God gives you is going to be met with pushback from hell. And I don't know if it's a father or a mother. I don't know if it's an aunt or an uncle. I don't know if it was a boss or a neighbor. I don't know if it was a brother or a sister. I don't know if it was a betrayer or a friend. But whatever it is, whoever it is, how many ever pharaohs, they come in and out of our life. And you need to understand something. At the end of the day, pharaoh is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. People are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And you just need to be, you just, it's so, listen, catch this. There's a reason why when Jesus was on the cross suffering and dying, he looked down and the words that came out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's a hard thing to do when somebody's hurting you intentionally, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching that if you're in an abusive relationship that you're supposed to stay in that and tolerate that and just let the love of Jesus work with that. No way, absolutely. And we have counseling services here. If you go to our website, that's one of the things that are offered here. Don't get me wrong what I'm saying, but I'm saying like no matter what, when you go looking for freedom, you're going to get pushback. I had a weird dream last night. I got to share it. It's, there's nothing scriptural about it, but it was just too funny. So I, I had this dream, ready? I'm going to just tell the whole thing just because I was with Pastor Dylan and I was back at my high school and he got called because he was a famous guitarist and he got called to play Ario Speedwagon, Take It on the Run. Now those of you that are laughing knew the 80s. Those of you that aren't, uh, don't know it, but, you know, take it on the run, baby. And Pastor Dylan, he's ready. He's got his guitar. And as we're walking in, there was somebody that comes up to me, a familiar face from school. And they're like, they're like, that girl coming in, she's getting arrested because she's been abusing her kid. And the police were there. And I was like, wait a second, you look familiar. And then all of a sudden I turn and I walk outside and I go outside and how many, uh, if you don't know who Pastor Kevin is, you need to invite him and Michelle over after the baby is up and running. But in the meantime, you can send them uh, uh, congratulations in April. She's due. She is a sweetheart. She's a gentle soul. But her, Michelle, Destin, and another person, Michelle, uh, another Michelle were in there and, and I, see, I see them in the car and they're mad at me and I'm like, why are you mad at me? I didn't do anything. Like, and then I walk up to the window and I'm like, hey, we should talk sometime and they pull off and they screech the wheels and they stop halfway down the parking lot and they roll out the windows and they stick their heads out and they yell back, why don't we talk about you smoking cigarettes? And they drive off and I'm like, have I been smoking cigarettes? I woke up with this guilt of like, I've been smoking cigarettes. Like, what did I do? I'm like, I smoked a lot worse than cigarettes, so I should be feeling a lot like that's nothing. Like, you should see this stuff I smoke. Like, and I'm like, ah. but this is the thing about Pharaoh. He just tries, he has only one tool, and it's oppression and shame and humiliation. And it's not God's will for you to come to Jesus, say the sinner's prayer, and then go back to your life and him say, as for the rest of your life, if you disobey the Ten Commandments, you won't make it. That's not the grace of God that we talked about from the book of Romans. The grace of God is this, is to say, oh God, I'm a mess. I'm not even going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend to be holy because I'm not. You know the story of the prodigal son? When the father sees him, he puts his robe over him. The problem with some of us in our Christian walk of legalism is that we think that when God refers to holiness in us, that he's referring to our holiness. He's not. He's referring to his holiness on us. You can't, he says, be holy as I'm holy. I can't do that. He says, here's a robe, here's a ring. You're my son, you're my daughter. 
And then he says, see that cross? I'm not going to move that anywhere because I want for the rest of your life for you when you do what's right, not to do it because you're afraid you're going to not, you're going to miss heaven, not to do it because you think that you earn points with me because I don't have a flyer point credit card program, but that I'll leave that there for all eternity so that every time you come back and it reminds you of my love and sacrifice of how much you, I value you. And it reminds you that you are not going to get to heaven because of who you are, but whose you are. And that you'll go back in and say, Oh God, again, please deliver me. Set me free. Help me. Without the grace of God, I'll go back and smoke it, snort it, shoot it. Without the grace of God, I live for Jesus because I love him. You know what my altar call was? This is really interesting. When I was getting free from my Pharaoh moment, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in the Catholic church. So I walked into a Pentecostal church. That place freaked me out. All I knew was the pastor was the greatest guy. He prayed for me. God took a million pounds off my back, and then he filled me with a million volts of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there was a Bible college that came there, and they were sharing, and they, I couldn't tell you what they preached on or whatever, but at the end of the service, they go, and if you're here today, we speak such crazy Christianese, don't we? We try to actually, as a staff, I want you to know, we avoid picking real Christianese phrases because of those of you that are coming to church that don't quite understand the language. We don't want you to say to you, come and learn our language, wear our clothes, eat our food, embrace our culture. We want you to say, hey, we're in this together and let's make this understandable. But, but um, I came forward and they're like, if you're here today and you feel the burning of the Holy Spirit and God's cognate presence is over you, dwelling and hovering over you, and you feel a call to full-time vocational ministry, come forward here and let God seal it in his Holy Spirit. And I was like such a street rat. I'm like, I don't even know if I spit in church. I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. But I know this, Lord, I owe you. And you didn't ask for me to pay it back. But, and I came forward and I, I literally prayed a prayer. And I said, God, I owe you. So I'm Annie and up. You do with my life what you want to do with it. It's not my business, my money, my security, my wife, my, my vacations. It's, it's my life's yours. You do with it what you want. Well, pastor, that's what pastors do. No, that's what followers of Christ do. And we get put in different places according to our gifting. That's not what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the, the moment you ask for three days off, he's all over your life. The moment you try to take three days to purge heroin from you and you're drinking two gallons of water and a little bit of cranberry juice and you're trying to get free from that junk, he comes back three days later, 10 times worse and is all over you, beating you up like a street back alley gang beating. The moment that you try to forgive somebody and release that situation, he brings back the memory of it and rubs your face in it. Why? Because he can't have what you and I have and that's that's God's forgiveness. I know this will sound kind of strange, but just even as I was driving in this morning, there was a moment where I was just thinking about the forgiveness, the, re the recycling forgiveness of God. And there was a moment, not like I had a conversation with Satan, but like a moment in my heart where I just wept. I'm like, you can never experience that. He can never experience the grace of God. I don't know the details to what happened with him, but I do know this. The detail to this is God is not a Pharaoh and he's not looking to shame you and he's not looking to blame you and he's not looking to, to punish and gruel you when you're coming before him on the right terms. And those terms are unconditional surrender, saying I'm wrong, you're right. Your way, not my way. Your righteousness, not my righteousness. I don't do because I have to, I do because I want to. 
And that's the freedom of a Christian walk in Christ. And I don't care how powerful or how resourced your Pharaoh over your life is. God can look at all the gold of Egypt and melt it in a moment. The devil is not God's contender. This isn't some round two, round three kind of thing. He is a punk that he used to set him up so that he could redeem you and me. He came in and set us up and said, just eat of the tree of the fruit of knowledge and good and evil. He didn't, you know, the devil made me do it. Is not, that's never an excuse. What the devil does is, is he sets us up and we make these stupid choices choices and we destroy our life and then he becomes the taskmaster over us and then he makes these and the moment that we begin to talk freedom he makes these ridiculous claims over our life and God comes in with a Moses and God has to send somebody in says thus says the Lord of God let my people go you're going to get pushback from Pharaoh if you want to be serious about freedom in Christ but not only that if you begin to take seriously, not only to find freedom, know God and find freedom, but that you begin to take the step into the, t- the last two steps, which are so important and so few people do, is to discover the purpose, your, your gifts, your talents, and make a difference. You'll either hold your gifts in your pocket or you'll begin to offer them selflessly to God and say, not on my terms, on your terms, Lord. Just like what Bob did here today. Wasn't it, how many of you were encouraged by that? right? But so many of you have so many gifts, and so many of us come to the deliverance process of the exodus, and we say, oh God, exit us out of this problem, and God says, it's going to take time, it's going to be a process, and he says, all right, I'm going to set you free, but you need to understand how things work, and this is what happened. Watch this. At this point, The children of Israel are making bricks. This is actually a picture of what was going on in Egypt. They dressed their servants in the white cotton of Giza. If you've got my pillow Giza sheets, they rock on. But uh, this is something that they do to this day, and they use mud and straw. What does that tell me? That tells me the the, the Israelites are not building pyramids, and we'll get into all that on the teaching online, but they're making, they're given the dirty work of making mud brick houses and Uh, stuff that's on there, and I encourage you to go to website, media, and further teachings that are there. But not only will you get pushed back from Pharaoh, you're going to get pushed back from people. Listen, freedom's a journey, and it's a process. Look at what's happening in this place. Look at what the people say here. This is a picture off of one of the walls of Egypt of of a servant being beaten. He says this, he says, the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten. It's like you begin to talk about freedom and man, get ready for a fight. But he, here's what happens. They turn around and the people are, are, are in suffering and agony. And so they say, well, who do we have to blame for this? And Israel saw that they were in trouble. They're like, there is no way we can do two jobs. Like I can't work. I can't work 48 hours in 24 hours. It's impossible. And so here's the key verse right here. Exodus 5, 21, they said to them, the Lord, and they're saying this to to Moses and Aaron, who just went in before Pharaoh, who just had the conversation, thought it was going to get delivered, and says, the Lord, look on you and judge you, because you've made us a stink in in the sight of Pharaoh, and his servants have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Thanks for nothing. 
You see, here's the thing about those of you that some of us are going to just do a life in the pew, and I'm telling you, this isn't what God's called you to, to just know God and find freedom and sing songs. No, he wants you to find your purpose and make a difference and become a deliverer of other people. He's calling you to be a Moses. But here's the thing about this. The second that you step up and step into somebody's life, it is not going to get better. It will probably get worse. And instead of them thanking you for what you did, you become the target. See? Amen, little one. You become, how many of you have been the target of trying to help somebody and then they just, they're just like, thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> they come up to you and they're like, I just, my grandma's been praying for me. I want more Jesus in my life and, you know, and I, I just need to get cleaned up and, and then, you know, you say, you got to come to church, and they come to church, and God moves in their heart, and then, and then they go home, and they're like, listen, I don't, what's up with this Jesus stuff? Will you just, come on, we got a good thing going. We got a couple of kids. We, we're, we're not married. We got a couple of write-offs. This is going good. Like, what's, no, no, sweetheart, I, I, I just think we should get married. Married? Am I not married with you? We do not have kids, or, you know, I'm taking something out of left field, but the second that you go up to somebody and say, hey, man, God can set you free from drugs. Any of you, how many of you have been under that taskmaster, right? Don't raise your hand. It's just saying, what an, evil, what an evil taskmaster he is. I did everything except intravenous heroin because I knew I'd be a lifer because of my weak will for that. And God put an iron will inside of me afterwards when the Holy Spirit set me free. But I was like, oh my goodness, I couldn't. And, and so that's why I was laughing with that dream last night. That's why I even brought it up because I'm like, man, the hardest thing for me to quit was smoking cigarettes. Not, listen, I don't think you go to hell for smoking cigarettes. I just don't want to smell like I've been there. I'm not, I don't want to start going down a track of like, and here's sin, and this is sin, and that's sin, and this is sin. But hear me, the moment you try to get involved in somebody's life, People will always be there for you when you don't need them, and they won't be there for you when you do. Let me give you an example. David goes out. He sees his brother. He hears Goliath. He says, listen to this guy. Everybody's shaking in their boots. Nobody will go down and fight him. He's like, why won't anybody fight him? His brothers aren't even on his side. He says, you just like a good fight. Get out of here, unless you need a beating from us again. You know, it's... Irish family. It wasn't Jewish. And so, so then he sends him down. David goes down and he says to Saul, he says, I'll go out there and do it. He puts all his armor on him. And then David's like, this stuff doesn't work. Let me go down there. When David went to Goliath, he didn't need any support. He had that in him. He did. And if he was waiting for somebody to put the right words in his psyche, he never would have stepped out. Listen, if you want to do something for God, don't look to people to give you the right words and the right feeling in the right moment. It won't be there. You need to know that the God of all gods and the King of all kings is behind you and you take the battlefield and you take the fight to him and you know that God will give you what you need. The most powerful soldier in the world was taken out with a rock. But if you look for that encouragement from people alone, it won't be there when you need it, but that discouragement shows up all the time when you need a break. David is in a city called Ziklag. He's no longer considered an Israelite. His mighty men are around him. They're living in the wild. They have no place to call home. They take off to fight for the Philistines. The Philistines, 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend. He's trying to just survive. And he goes off and he comes back to the city of Ziklag. And while they were gone, enemies raided the camp. People are weeping. Wives are gone. Children are slaughtered. Money's missing. And then you know what the people do? Instead of turning to David and saying, oh, David, let's, let's do this. It says that they picked up rocks and said, let's stone David. People will never be there for you when you need them. And when you need them, they won't be there. And as I flip this in here, if you're going to look for freedom, if you want to know God and find freedom, prepare for pushback, not just, from, not just from Pharaoh, but from people. Imagine if we took all of our agonies and our agonies and our prayer and our complaints and our gossip and took that energy and poured it into prayers of deliverance. Or offer ourselves to God to be a deliverer, what would that be like? Well, that's what happens with Moses right here. It says, then Moses turned to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, why have you done this evil, in the peop- uh, this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Do you hear that? Moses just so glad they failed. So you got to understand something about God. God looks across the universe and says, mine. God looks across the generations of humanity and says, I am the God present tense of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jodah, Ju- uh, Judah, Jodah. Tom and Susan, Pam and Dylan, Faye and Linda, Adam, Michelle. I'm the God of everyone. And I don't live in a time slot like you. You see, we talk about these things about going and being that person that God wants us to be, to know, discovering purpose and making a difference. But the promises of God are yes and amen. Some of you, you're like, I had a praying grandma, right? I always hear this. And it's always like when we're reaching out to people. Uh, this, this outreach I wasn't a part of, but I'm so proud of our community. Fred Ofushena, I always want to call you Ofukushima. Um, but they went out, and Junior, of course, wherever there's a need, Junior's there. And they're out there and they just fill up a bag with gloves and hats and they pull up to a local area where Junior lived his life for 20 years within a one block radius of going from drug to sleep to, to store, drug sleep store, and comes out there and just starts blessing people and praying for people. I even think uh, uh, Selena and uh, even uh, one of, one of uh, Ama and Echo's sons, I think, are there. I, I, I don't know, but they just pulled up like that. And when they got done, it looked like this. And they want to keep going out there. You want to be a deliverer? Guess what? You need to talk to Freddie. You need to talk to Junior and say, hey, man, I'd really love to. You know how cold it is out there? They need gloves and hats. Let's do it. But when you go to become a deliverer, not only are you going to have Pharaoh push back, not only are the people going to push back, but you might push back against God and say, I thought you were going to fulfill this promise in my life. You're letting me down, God. See, 2 Peter 3.9 says, Don't think that the Lord is slack in his promises. No, a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. He only holds back because he wants none to perish and that all should come to repentance. 
maybe while I'm sitting here, a church is closed. A church leader has stepped down. A church member has refused to step up. This year, 4,000 churches closed, 1,700 pastors left ministry. Do you know what that means? That for every one of those pastors probably represented 1,000 people. One, one, what, like, I mean, that, that's, well, God uses pastors. No, he uses people. See, my job is just simply to take the stick and say, one, two, three, you are the ones that make the music of ministry. You are the deliverers. And I know that some of you have tried to get free. You keep looking at that cross and you, every time that the devil tries to shame you with your past or your present, please point him back to the cross. Remind him and remind yourself you're saved by grace through faith and not of works. And say, God, I'm going to do this right sooner or later, maybe when I get to heaven, but I'm always going to come back to the cross. Or maybe you've stepped out and you're trying to do the right thing, but maybe you need some development and people are pushing back on you. You try to step into a situation and it's always the face that gets slapped that should be the hand that's shook. I'll never forget my father always would say, Paul, a real man is not defined by how hard of a punch he can throw, but how hard of one he can take and not throw one back to lower himself unless he's defending a life. God wants you to be deliverers. And not everybody's going to thank you for it. And I don't care how good your grandma prays. doesn't mean anything. Here all the time, my grandma's praying for me. That's good. But she probably has a knot in her stomach because her prayers need to be fulfilled by your participation in the promises of God. The promises of God are yes and amen, but faith without works is dead. And it's time that you begin to participate in all that God has. I'm going to close with a story I heard from a dear friend of mine, true story. His name is Tiff Shuttlesworth. Jonathan, his son, is a little bit unhinged and he's crazy. He's arrogant all day long and I'd say it to his face. He was in a youth group where a kid had a complete broken leg and the next day it was healed. Amazing family. They have a long heritage. Jonathan is growing, but his father, Tiff, is my bud, man. He's just, he's a humble guy. And he began to tell this story. It was online on somebody's Facebook of E.V. Hill, a famous evangelist. And in the 1970s, there was a church in the middle of nowhere. It was actually in Hammond, Indiana. And this guy, uh, this guy, this pastor, Jack Hiles was his name. He went up to him and he says, Pastor Jack, like, you are obsessed with soul winning. Now you have to understand something about this man. His church is in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. The children that attended the Sunday school in this church numbered 20,000. That's not the adults, that's just the children. 20,000. I don't know E.V. Hill, and I have no stories to tell you on that, Jack Hiles, but I know my friend Tiff, I know, that I know he's a man of truth. And he said, why are you so obsessed with soul winning? Why are you so obsessed with delivering people? I mean, it's evident from this church of, of just so many people, why? He said, one, when I was a kid, my sister screamed in the middle of the night, top of her voice, screeching scream. And I got up and I ran to her room and I said, what is it, what is it? Did you have a dream? No. Did you, did you have a nightmare? No. She goes, it was real. She said, I was in hell. I was going through hell. And I was in the line and walking down the line. 
and I saw people that were thirsty and I said, please give them water. And somebody yelled, no water in hell. And as I went through, I saw people that were just hot and burning. Please bring a breeze, no breeze in hell. Someone please save them, nobody saved in hell. And she came back and she looked at her brother and she said, and I saw dad in line. And this is what he said to this evangelist. He said, and I made a promise to God that I would never allow anybody's father to go to hell. We live in a time where hell's not a popular thing. We've got, I had friends that were a part of Rob Bell's church, watched it built from nobody to 20,000 people reading and preaching through the book of, of Leviticus only to have to lead, leave the church because he, he abandoned the anchors of, of scripture. We have so many people that are talking about so many other things, but let me tell you something. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. People need deliverance. Forget drugs. Forget immoral, complicated relationships. People need to be delivered from their sin. And there's only one way for that deliverance to part the Red Sea of filth, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room right now, or you're watching online, and you want that to happen, we're going to pray in a moment. I'm going to give you a chance, and you better write or email us or fill out that Connect card and let us know that that happened in your life. But there's only one way to be saved, and that's through letting God take your punishment and letting Him give you His righteousness. There's no other way. You'll never be good enough. Never. You could take a prostitute and put her in the lowest pit in the world and you can take the nicest person you know, put them on Mount Everest, and you can compare and see how far apart they are, but neither of those people could touch a star. That's what it's like to have the righteousness to earn your way to heaven. You can't do it. That's why it's called the grace of God. And then there are some of you in this church who have known God and you've found freedom but you can't seem to just turn that pivot into a hinge to discover purpose and make a difference. Can I tell you, the pastors, we're fried. We're trying to figure out how to run. We need people that would just be shown how to hold a camera. We need people that have musical gifts. My goodness, I, if I, Thomas, am I right? Like, what would you do if I said, we have another keyboard player, another drummer, and another vocalist? Would you start to cry probably? Yeah, you'd start to cry. There's some of you here that are empathetic, loving people that say, I just, I don't know how to speak, but I, I could put my hand on somebody and, uh, well, maybe COVID not, right? You say, I just want to love on them. There's some of you that says, I, you know, I don't know when you're starting kids' church, but when you do, I am so there. I, you know what? I don't even know where to begin with youth ministry in our church, but let me tell you what, I'm at the point now, I'm like, I'll take a week, I'll give another week to a couple families, we'll rotate them, and, and maybe God will raise somebody up. I don't know, but, but we, we, need, we need our kids, like hearing of the God of Israel, that we know that parted the seas, that delivered us, that, brought, that wants to bring them into promise, and we can show, show them that and be those people. We don't have to figure, it's not that complicated, but, but you, you've got to step into the, once you discover your purpose, you have one last step and that's make a difference. And that's not on your own terms. There are a lot of places you could be and I could be right now. There are a lot of things that you could be doing and I can be doing not right now, but we're not. But the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference because love will do anything it takes to make a difference. Indifference will do absolutely nothing. Not my prob, not my job. God wants to use you. Yeah, you'll get slapped in the face a few times. It's worth it. 
Yeah, you'll turn to God and misaccuse him of letting you down, but he'll wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Red Sea, the enemy that has harassed you, you shall never see again. And it swallowed up the Egyptian army the same way that Moses' staff swallowed up those two snakes. How many of you want to be free today? How many of you want to be used today? How many of you want to step out of the boat and watch what happens when you don't rely on your resource, your energy, your trust, but you rely on Jesus? How many of you want to see what it's like when you say to God, I owe you and I'm giving you everything on your terms and you stop dictating terms to God? If you want that, stand to your feet this morning and stand to your feet where you are. If you're watching across by online, we're going to pray a prayer and I believe that God is going to meet it. You know what? Our church motto is simple. Find a need and meet it find a hurt and heal it and find the joy of serving why because if you find the joy of serving you'll never want to be served again father right now lift your hands if you would if you're comfortable with that father right now in the jesus lord in the name of jesus we're here first of all i pray for those that have been looking for deliverance but they've been met with nothing but resistance uh recycling addiction lord they're in a relationship that 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 the love lasted about a month and it's been gone and this is going on years and it's time to say goodbye in jesus name i pray you would let your people go right now i pray addictions would be broken in the name of jesus join me church pray with me here father right now in the name of jesus i pray toxic relationships would end father right now lying young men to teenage young ladies who have silenced the voice of their father that knew and loved them the moment they held them for the first time. I rebuke those voices of Pharaoh. I rebuke the lies of the enemy. And I pray that freedom would come in Jesus' name. Lord, right now in this place, we offer ourselves to you unconditionally. There are some of us here, we know our purpose, but we're not making a difference. Father, we would find a need and meet it. We'd make that known. We would say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Lord, there are a lot of places we might want to be sent, but we're here, we're now, and we're ready, and we want to be used by you. We want to set people free in Jesus' name. And we're willing, Lord, to be misunderstood and mismacked. We're not looking for people to give us the high. We're not looking for them to give us the thanks. Nobody thanked you when you were crucified. You just said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And if you could do that, you could put that strength in me to do it. Because we don't want to see anybody's father go to hell. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now, burdens would lift. Peace would fall. Purpose would be carved. And your presence would go with us and give us rest. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.